Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. This is episode 569 for the 6th of October 2021. Kate McGarry and Keith Gantz are partners both in life and music. The musical result of such a kinship is incredibly rich and rare and spans many albums for the vocalist and the guitarist. Their latest record, What to Wear in the Dark, was 10 years in the making and delicately chronicles world events from the past several years, including the US presidential election to the Sandy Hook tragedy and more. During a stretch of life which included loss of health, home and tribe, as Kate put it, the couple discovered a guiding light in the music of their youth. Thus, this offering balances out the two sides of the coin of life, which is all at once immensely challenging and at times heartbreaking, yet joyous and ultimately hopeful. I chatted to Kate and Keith about the process of making this album a literal labour of love, with minimal barking interjections from their dog, Juno. Rose and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the air And feather canyons everywhere I've looked at clouds that way Now they only block the sun They rain and snow on everyone So many things I would have done The clouds got in my way I've looked at clouds from both sides now Up and down and still somehow Gary and Keith Gantz, welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you. It's such a treat to have you here. Kate, you were last on this show with Jason back in 2008. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I know. If, if only you'd accomplished something at the time. <laughs> but it's a joy to welcome you back. And not just that, but to have Keith, your collaborator and partner, in life and all things musical here with you now. It's just a joy. Thank you, glad to be here. Well, don't say that yet, Keith. You might change your mind. (laughs) You might suddenly realize you have to go, you have an appointment to get to. (laughs) 
But I want to congratulate the two of you. You have a beautiful new album out. It's called What to Wear in the Dark, and it came out on the 3rd of September. So, Muzzle Tov. Thank you. Let's start with something from your press release, which said that Kate McGarry and Keith Gantz explore the healing power of music. What does that mean to you, this moment in time? Well, uh, for me, that means that uh, uh, the, the process of making this record was one of um, being in the middle of uh, dark places where I really didn't see a way out and finding the thread that music and the power that music has to uh, connect me with you know, my own places of healing and then seeing that played out in the world over and over in, in different different uh, uh, in different ways and then also finding music that felt like it addressed and and I don't know brought into sharp relief this is what's happening in the world and the process of making the record just kind of felt like it brought up that thing here's darkness you know you got to face it you got to go be in it you can't circumvent it you can't pretend it's not there you can't Pollyanna it and and that music uh, can help and so just trying to do whatever we can to alleviate and you know bring light and bring the kind of light that shows what's going on in the darkness as well. I did want to say I love the theme of the album, but love seemed like it was the wrong turn of phrase, but I appreciated the theme of the album, I should say, and it's really laid out beautifully in the press release in terms of each song making reference to some atrocity that has happened the world over in the last, I guess, year plus or so. And I thought that that really did show how music is relevant and can make commentary on political, socio-economic things. It's always done that, hasn't it? You know, I mean, it feels like, you know, that we're sort of returning to a time like, I mean, maybe it's all, it's always been there, but, you know, in the 60s and different different times when when music was the the way that people woke up and was the way that people, you know, got their energy together. And I think, um, yeah, that I've been sort of looking into that, like the, like the power of communal singing, the power of, um, of uh, communal spaces where music harnesses and energizes people and um, helps change the space that they're in, you know? Well, I think you've always had a knack, Kate, and and definitely I'm sure with Keith's input, both musically and through conversations that I'm sure take place when you're talking about repertoire and interpretation. But you've both always had a knack for, in a very nice way, in a way that doesn't turn people off, pointing us towards the fact that music can really outline what is happening in our times. And I think about your cover of Bob Dylan's The Times They Are a Change In, I had a whole new take on the song after hearing the two of you play that. Uh, and the same thing with We Kiss in the Shadows. I'll never forget, Kate, your your banter, your preamble to singing that song at a live concert many moons ago. And again, me having this sort of sit-up moment and being like, oh, Hammerstein was always ahead of the curve, right? All those sort of South Pacific, you've got to be carefully taught. Kiss in the Shadows is another one. And so I love the way that you both frame this music and usher it into a more contemporary context and remind us that it's it's always relevant. I think that's what we 
I've always been about, you know, as far as our, the, the thing is, it's like the, the standards are so durable and they're so, um, you know, that's what it seems like they're built for. It's like they can just go through the ages, but it's up to the musicians to uh, reinvestigate the narrative and find a narrative that is relevant to them at that moment and then reinvestigate the arrangement and reinvestigate the whole thing. And, and if you do that work, as painstaking as it is, then you've got something that all of a sudden speaks to um, the time that you're in now, you know. If you guys ever write an autobiography, that's the title, Reinvestigating the Narrative. <laughs> nice. Or if you start a podcast, although I'm getting, I, I shouldn't encourage that because that's such a great title for a podcast. Anyway. Well, I, we'll hire you for a ghostwriter for sure. Yeah. I'll produce for free in the corner. Well, it's funny, Kate, that you mention the standards and both of you have an astonishing ability to reinvent them and keep them relevant. But the other thing that the two of you do in the most marvelous way is that you are master interpreters of contemporary song. And this album alone, right, you've got Steely Dan, Joni Mitchell, The Beatles, Leonard Cohen, and you are just both tremendous at taking a contemporary song and interpreting it within the jazz context. And this goes back again, Kate, certainly to your earliest albums, there was Bjork, there was more Joni, there was Bob Dylan, there was James Taylor. In your opinion, and this is for both of you, either of you, what makes a successful rendition of a popular song, but within jazz parameters? Uh, that's a great question, because that's kind of like, the, since we started playing music together, that's kind of been like the, the primary, you know, thing for us to, to tackle and figure out how to do. Like the very first time we ever played, got together and played, we thought we were gonna just play some standards and we actually just ended up playing a bunch of like- Ricky you, Lee you Jones know, and Richard yeah, Julian and- Singer songwriter <laughs> right. type stuff that we both realized that we had in common. Right. And so from the beginning, from, from Mercy Streets, you know, like finding a way to, to play those songs, bring those songs into a jazz context has been like kind of our whole endeavor. And, and to me, I, for, for me, the thing that makes something feel like jazz or not feel like jazz isn't really like, you know, the chord qualities or the complexity or the, you know, those things. It's actually uh, like pop music is basically played in like chunks. It's like there's an intro that has like a figure and then there's a verse that has a new figure. And then maybe the second verse is a variation on the first figure. You know everything. the The evolution of the song happens in these in these kind of blocks, and that's kind of the art of it is is making crafting the sequence of of blocks that's satisfying and effective. And that's completely not what jazz sounds like. Jazz is a starts somewhere, and then it, then the musicians just go on a journey in the moment, and there's just a thread, and it's very weaving and linear, and it's not repetitive. So that's the thing more so than the actual, like the things that people often think of, like the chord voicings or, you know, the chromatic melodies, those are, those are factors too. But ultimately the thing that makes something feel and sound like jazz to me is, is that open-ended mm. unfolding of the song that's not in a repetitive block oriented thing. So taking 
So we take, but at the same time, when you do a jazz version of a pop song, you don't want the, the vibe of the song to just disappear and for all of a sudden to just sound like a jazz song with simpler chords, you know, that's mm. not satisfying either. So we try to establish a really strong mood uh, for the song in a way that's going to remain, you know, for, for the song, whether it's like a specific kind of harmonic sound for the intro that kind of like establishes, you know, like a cinematic mood for the, just like you would do in, if you were making a soundtrack, something that evokes a mood. And then we're going to kind of stay in that mood, even as we imp improvise. And then we try to open up the chords in a way that is that jazz musicians can then just play with them like they would anything else. And so you get that flow of, of jazz where it just feels open-ended and it's interactive. And, yeah. And interactive and it's just weaving and going wherever it goes, but retaining some sort of identity for the song that makes it distinct and distinct from, from the other songs. And so, and then, and for each song that can kind of be a different thing, like what's going to create that identity for that song that's, that's going to remain even as we improvise, it might be kind of a rhythmic feel. It might be a certain kind of harmonic thing, like, like on just what I needed on Kate's arrangement of the Cars song, you know, it's like, how are we going to take this 1980s uh, electronic sounding Cars song and do that? And, and just that chord voicing for that first chord that hmm. Kate put on it. I feel like that just right away established the sound. Hmm. And then that that's almost like the whole the whole like through line for the song is just like the sound of that first chord is the kind of the touchstone that that we keep coming back to so that it doesn't just veer off into ambiguous improvisation land where every song could end up sort of sounding the same. Hmm. And that's like I think that I think of that as like a, a really great uh, sort of um, would that be a a left brain uh, explanation of it <laughs> and the the right brain explanation um, for it, for me is that um, an event uh, something happens and I um, and some music shows up to meet that moment and then. Um, and a narrative begins inside using the, those the, those lyrics. A new narrative starts, and then at the more that I give myself to that, um, uh, ideas come. Like it should feel like this. It should sound like that. So there's kind of like a kind of trying to transcribe the feeling that's happening, and that gives you know uh, this information of of mood and of how much space there is or whatever but following the narrative gives me every everything you know what i mean and then when i kind of get enough of that information you know i'll go to keith with this rudimentary should have been playing on the piano and then he's, he starts to translate that onto the guitar and then these motifs come and these all these things but they're all informed by this you know, this narrative, and then that's what ends up directing and flowering in the into the form of the piece. And that's the beauty of, I think, of, of one of the beauties of this particular kind of collaboration is that I feel this kind of openness to, you know, whatever. It's like, so what's the feeling? What's the, and he's listening, listening for um, the information that I got. And then 
he's so open to it and able to translate it through a, like both pop lenses, folk lenses, and jazz lenses that then we're getting, you know, um, all of those things. And, and so you don't get like this feeling of here's a pop tune and then we stuck a, you know, G7 sharp nine, you know, flat 13 chord on it. And then we did this and it doesn't have that formulaic thing because that's not how it got made. You know, it got made through the story and then using all the skills that we have as, as jazz musicians and, and just as musicians together, then it flowers into something that's um, unique and, and of that narrative. Well, you've inadvertently outlined for us why your collaborative partnership works so well, <laughs> because you represent two halves of the brain and two halves make a whole. The renditions, I think, work. Well, they work because they work. But now that you've unpacked it some, Kate, I think because, as you say, there's that emotional anchorage of it it's not just for the sake of it so it really follows through and then Keith what you were referring to it reminded me in fact if we go back to American Songbook Fair and the fact that those songs came out of musicals and would have been played by an orchestra or a you know a pit band where the arrangements had all those motivic sort of anchors in them so you'd hear the introduction and you'd be like, I know this song. And then when the song was recorded, yeah. the same thing was true. Because I do think the motifs that stand as your introductions for a lot of these, I'm thinking of, you know, here comes the sun and yes, yeah. they really mm -hmm. are strong. And so there is that sense of comfort for the listener and willingness that they're happy mm -hmm. to go along for the ride because of how mm -hmm. you've outlined it. Thanks for pointing that out. It made me think of the fact <laughs> that like, that's basically, you know, how jazz, like we're just doing what jazz musicians did with the, with the show tunes and right. just you know, take some kind of essential uh, skeleton of the exactly. song and then make it a vehicle for their own expression of, of something. Little darling, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Little darling, it feels like years since it's been here. Here comes the sun, here comes the sun, and I say it's all right. Little darling, I feel the ice is slowly melting. Little darling, it seems like years since it's been here. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Sun, sun, sun. Here it comes. Sun, sun, sun. Here it comes. your approach differ when we're looking at the more obviously folky tunes you do a beautiful tune by your friend Paul Carreri I know there was a tune by him on your previous duo album which is a particular favorite of mine Genevieve and Ferdinand 
of course, I also think the the original music often is more folky, even dating back to going in. And in this, well, in this one, you've got Paul's tune, God Moves on the City. So how is your treatment of those tunes to make sure that they're cohesive with the contemporary music and any interpretations of jazz standards? Yeah, those those are kind of their own thing a little bit for me, well, for me mm-hmm. on the music part, because they tend to be based on like, you know, a fingerstyle guitar thing, which, you know, immediately sounds very, very folky. Um, and... But I try to do it in a way that that still is is open that that feels open enough somehow that other instruments can can yeah. come in and that it, it can flow more than just being uh, repetitive. Yeah, it's super organic because like the first thing that happens in the very first phrase of that, you hear Ron Miles, and it's just like Ugh. like the the you know you get the feeling of it right away and so it's it's that for us it's that combination of whatever we're, we've come up with, with with the music but as important to that pie is the musicians that you've chosen because each one of their personalities their skills their strengths is what we need and want in order to make those things come alive and and to help them have have a feeling of organicness and 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 um and the naturalness, you know, so like, that's why to me, you know, God moves on the city, even though that's like on the definitely on the folk end of, of anything we've got on the record, it, it's still it's like it speaks of jazz because and it meets jazz because you've got every instrumentalist is playing with that with their jazz, their jazz musicians. And so they're listening to each other, they're responding to each other. Gary Versace and and Ron and Obed Calvert and Keith on that that track. They're just playing like they would be playing any tune. And so it's jazz, you know, and that for for, for my money, that's the best of it. Does the do to love you good webs but a baby? When the breath of every man and bird sucked right in. I drop my hammer like everyone faced it. Across the field, went home, but my key don't fit. I look at my home, but my home looks different. It's too much to picture beaches, broken ships cascading. Bugles bitten black, sunk into a sea of dust. up a black foot daisy and I lose the memory of what that daisy was the spaces between the sunlights seem so Shovels in the darkness there in the shed on the shelf 
down in the hot dirt of copperheads in my Hi there, I'm jumping on here quickly to tell you how you can best support the Jazz Session if you so wish. This podcast is supported by listeners who enjoy these conversations so much that they decide to become members over at the Jazz Session's Patreon page. You can head to thejazzsession.com join for more information on how to opt into one of two tiers of membership. For $5 a month, you'll receive these interviews a day early. You'll get to hang out with me virtually once a month. Hopefully this is a perk and not a deterrent. And you will also receive a weekly bonus mini episode called Track of the Week, where an artist talks about a track of their latest album and you then hear the song in its entirety. For $10 a month, you'll receive these perks plus a monthly bonus episode from the Jazz Sessions spin-off series, The Insider. Here I talk to jazz industry experts, broadcasters, managers, label heads, publicists about the musicians with whom they work, the music that inspires them, and the nitty-gritty of their jobs. You can head to thejazzsession.com slash join for more information. And if membership is not your thing, then feel free to tweet about the show, share it on Facebook or Instagram, or just tell your mum how much you love it. And maybe she will subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever she gets her podcasts. Now, back to the interview. Keith, you posted about the album on Facebook and you referred to it as intense and long ranging. And Kate, I heard you discussing this album a while back with Steve Davidson on his podcast, The Playful Musician, and you were saying that it was recorded at various stages, different studios. So the process sounds like it was, um, what is the word? Like a film that it, that uh, that chronicles somebody's long journey, long voyage, long trek. Yeah. <laughs> Keith's, Keith's nodding and looking slightly yeah. wan at the memory of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this really started back in 2009 was the when the first arrangements started to come <clears throat> forward. And when the when the subject and the title came to me, it was like we were in just in the middle of of, of some real, you know, heavy, heavy stuff in our lives. And and um, it was kind of before everything went nuts in the in the world, you know, and um or in this country in particular, but um, it was just sort of the, the start of that, you know, downward spiral. But the song started coming forward and I, I you know, was just dealing with kind of this place of sort of depression and, and not being able to kind of get through and finding the music as the as the um, salve for that. And then, and then little by little, it's like these things started to happen outside, you know, Trayvon Martin's murder and the people being gunned down everywhere. It's just like all these things just happening in the world and then finding these musical re responses come up like, this is what I want to sing about that. This is what I want to say about that. And then I went to New York and, and played some of this music, just fleshed it out. We did National Sawdust in 2015 uh, with a whole different band. And, um, and we kind of played some, you know a lot of this music at that time. And then uh, we went, into the studio at 2017 and um right after we recorded the subject tonight is love we kind of tagged it onto the end of that recording session you know like a week later and brought brought obed and um and ron in uh for a day and just like 
play, you know, played whatever we could. And we ended up not really feeling like it wasn't ready. It wasn't done at all. And we, we just set it aside and it felt like, oh, I don't know, you know, <laughs> it just wasn't ready. And so then we, we just kept kind of going about our, our business and, and, um, and working on it on the side a little bit. And then we decided to go back in and, and uh, right at March, 2020, right, right before everything shut down with um, Clarence Penn and Sean Smith and Gary and um, do another run at it. And then we got like the second half from that session. And then over the pandemic, there was, we did one more song pandemic style with uh, Aaron Bentelich and uh, Becca Stevens and Michelle Willis and uh, Christian Newman and James Ship. So it was like, that was the last piece. And that kind of brought the whole thing together. And Keith had, you know, that whatever 16 months of uh, COVID quarantining to mm -hmm. start working on it and sculpting and, you know, finding the songs. It's like going on a deep dive and, you know, it's a literal labor of love, but I do love that it does allow you because of the time that it encapsulates, it allows you to comment on, I mean, who knew and we wish it had never happened, but all the things, the presidential election, the pandemic. So it does kind of allow you to be a, a narrator for a really fascinating chunk of time, right? In history, the world over. But now that you've done that, what do you enjoy about this process versus the kind of traditional three short, sharp days in a studio and you're done? You've now had an experience that is so at the opposite end of the spectrum. Well, it definitely suits what our goal always is musically, like what we attempt to do, because we have a really specific like response to the mu the music. It's not so much like a specific vision for like, the, you know, the notes, like, here's exactly what we want everyone to play. But but these arrangements, like, we kind of work on them, and then we play them duo, and then we play them with the band. And over time, we we, we have this feeling of, like, the journey of them, like, mm -hmm. we want the intro to feel like this, and then it builds to this part for this. And then, you know, we have this, this amorphous, <laughs> but very specific, <laughs> you know, feeling sense of how we want it to go which, you know, is impossible for a band to just show up and mirror that, you know, we, we choose our favorite musicians for, you know, for the things we're trying to do. Then there's kind of a process of like trying to give everyone the, this amorphous blueprint of how we want the, the thing to unfold, but they're still going to improvise their parts, you know? So, you know, it's, it's definitely not an exact science to achieve that. So, uh, to have two holes, different sessions, and we did a bunch of different tunes. And, you know, we weren't even sure, like some of the songs from the first session didn't end up feeling like they fit, like they were no longer kind of the right songs. So we probably had, I don't know, close to 20 songs mm. to choose from. And so when we had, when everything stopped and we were, we were like, all right, let's get the old session out. Let's listen to everything again. Let's listen to all the new stuff, and we had and we we re we redid some of the new some of the songs from the first session, right? And we had to decide, you know, which, you which know, version. What, yeah, so we had a ton <laughs> of music to listen to, and we listened to all of it and all the takes, and finally started to get a picture of like which songs were going to be be the record, and then and you know, and which takes, and so we had everything, 
and we had the version of Barrytown from the first session, which was a smaller group because that was I was playing bass on right. that. So when I was playing bass, there was no guitar, and then and, and then when we did the session, we wanted bass so I could be on guitar and then to have a bigger sound for some of these more dramatic arrangements. But so we really liked the 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 take of Barrytown from that first session. It was really haunting and with Ron um, and mm. and it just just had a you know a really special vibe that I didn't think we could beat. But when we listened to the whole record, it felt like it was and it was a little bit slower. And when we listened to the whole record it just felt like ah oh, the the Barrytown needs to be yeah more intense and faster. Even though it's a beautiful version for the record, we needed it yeah. to really be big and kind of explode. And so we went back to the to the new the newer session and and kind of yeah. put together a more you know a bigger uh, more more intense version of that mm. one. So yeah, it's like kind of taking everything, putting it all on the table, and then just <laughs> sifting through all of it and trying to figure out what what makes sense for this this one cohesive record. I mean, and also he doesn't toot his own horn, but I mean, I've watched the, the days and days just sitting at the computer and kind of editing. He's sort of just like taking things away that didn't need to be there. This phrase, this note, like to kind of. And it's that thing of like taking away everything that isn't the elephant, you know, and then all of a sudden it starts to appear. And because when I would listen to the songs at the beginning, I'd be like, no, this doesn't from the recording, the raw songs from the recording. I was like, this is not what I, you know, <laughs> what I was feeling. It doesn't tell the story. And then he just like, he just like gently like take this away, take that away, take that away. And then all of a sudden, like he'll he'll like, come in and listen, and I'll be like, oh, there it is, there it is, you know, and yeah, and it's that's how it happened. Song after song, he would do this, you know, process, which I would just be like, what? <laughs> and some of it we would do together because we would say like, okay, would this versus this, this versus this, and then in the you know, then gently this the 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 story would emerge, and that's what we're, I'm waiting for is. Do you hear the story? Do you feel the story? The performances are, you know, outrageous. They're great. The, you know, it's not about that. It's more. It's in service to the to the the narrative, and that's what feels like. Um, you know, I feel so lucky that otherwise he could be like, "Screw you! This sounds great," you know. <laughs> and but he, he had that same, you know, it's he's very fussy, you know, what I mean, in a way that really serves. Uh, serves the music. <laughs> I wouldn't say that he's fussy. I would say you are both beautifully detail-oriented. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I would say. But I would also say that having heard this, my wish for both of you for the next, I don't know, several months, if not longer, is that you don't have to make any decisions. Because I'm listening to this and my heart is beating double time. I'm thinking I would have such decision-making fatigue. Like, Yeah, it's a lot of decisions. Well, it's yeah. great. I mean, it's it's the part that makes that not as hard for me is that I know that I can always, and, and this is part of the process, like I'll work on something yeah. for, you know, however many hours, you know, kind of like based on my strong ideas, knowing that then I'm going to have Kate come in mm. and listen to it. And then I'm going to see like what her reaction is and what she hears and mm -hmm. then and then that's gonna like tell me like where to go or if you know if that was mm -hmm. 
if it was on the right track yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really tremendous, folks. Like just the effort and the care. Kate, the way that you describe Keith sort of getting rid of excess or anything so that the song can emerge in the way that you both imagined that it could and would. It just reminds me of somebody who's excavating something in a desert and just dusting with those that little brush that's what yeah. it feels like yeah feels tiny like. little crevices and lines and you need to get the dust out otherwise you're not quite sure what you're dealing with and yeah. you want to see it emerge yeah. right right yeah, exactly and it's and it's i mean it's so rewarding because literally when when it's the difference between hearing something and being like yeah yeah and then hearing it and then the tears start to flow because it reached you know what i mean the story came and it's like okay you know i mean there's just no it's happened so many times it kind of happens with every record because he's kind of been on that even though he hasn't gotten the credit for it this is sort of the first one where it's sort of like he's getting the the credit for it but it's always been that way but um this one is even more so i'm not one to look behind i know that times must change but over there in Barry town they do things very strange Though you're not my enemy I like things like they used to be And though you'd like some company I'm standing by myself Go play with someone else I can see Oh, it's very special. I mean, Keith, on that note, right? So Kate's referring to your role uh, as producer, I mean, and so much more as we've now discovered, you know, engineer and editor and, and all of that. How has your relationship with producing grown and developed over the years? What does being a producer mean for you? Because we know in, in the jazz world, in the music world, we know that when someone says it's my producer, that could mean a myriad of things, right? What does it mean for you and how does it change or exhibit different facets when the person that you're producing is Kate? Would you like to produce for other musicians? I would, you know, it's like, it's something that probably if I was less of an introvert, I would probably, <laughs> you know, pursue more because uh, I like doing it. And it's like, it's probably the thing that I have the least conflict with, mm -hmm. with as far as like artistically, <laughs> because I just, I just, you know, I have, just have really strong tastes, you know, and when I hear something, it's almost like when I hear something, what I hear tend to hear is like, what would make this sound better to me, mm -hmm. you know, and that's of course, totally subjective, but that's just like kind of what I hear. So like, as an improvising jazz musician, that can be a bit of a curse because then you listen to everything that was improvised and you and your ear is going to like what could be better about this <laughs> but as a producer it's i guess it's pretty good thing to have so you know i'm just like listening for how you know how to make the thing work and and i think coming really from you know growing up listening to pop music or rock and and then getting into jazz maybe gives you a different perspective too because you know, I grew up listening to music that was completely sculpted 
mm-hmm. you know, from beginning to end for everything to hit a certain way. And then, you know, playing instrumental jazz is totally different. It's all about just going on the journey and people just just hooking up and seeing what happens. But with vocal music, especially with the way Kate sings, it has the same qualities of classic singer-songwriter and folk and pop music, which is so, which has a sp- such a specific feeling and it makes me want to hear that specificity of, of like how the song unfolds in response to, to the singing and to the, to the story and to the way that feels. Mm-hmm. You know, all my history of that kind of music just comes out and, mm-hmm. and, and I just have, you know, just like, ah, oh, this, I want this to feel this way and this to feel this way and this to feel this way. And then use my jazz experience uh, to try to figure out, you know, musically how to, how to make that happen. Kate, you've worked and recorded in many other contexts that are not just you at the helm of your ship with Keith. What is it that you get out of your working relationship with Keith when he's involved versus when he's not? Should well, I leave the room? <laughs> yeah, Keith, please leave the room. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I mean, really, it's that's kind of the gold standard, you know. I mean, it's it's hard for anything else to live up to that, even though whatever playing with all these other great people, Fred Hirsch or John Hollenbeck or whatever, like that it's each one brings their magic and their virtuosic thing to that music and to what they've asked me to do. And so I try and fulfill that, you know, it's sort of like then I'm trying to serve someone else's vision, but this is always serving, you know, our vision. And so that's home base and that's like the best. And it kind of definitely has me you know, makes me feel spoiled because there's just no mm-hmm. other situation where you get that kind of, you know, when somebody feels the same way that you do about about how something should sound and how it should how it should be. And then they have the skill to be able to help that happen with you, you know. It's just very lucky. Oh, I'm very envious of both of you. Kate I shouldn't reference another podcast and plug it, but I will because it's lovely and I think the more the merrier. But again, when you were speaking on The Playful Musician, you were speaking to Steve about a vocal injury or vocal challenge that you had. And after I heard that, I reached out to you because I hadn't known, I was struck again by how much superficial exterior things we see online, but yet we really don't know what's going on in everybody's lives at all. And I found it so harrowing because I I think for any musician, vocalist or instrumentalist, there is that fear, what would happen? You know, for, for pianists, what would happen if something happened to my fingers or my hands, I couldn't play, or a guitarist. For a vocalist, what would happen if I couldn't sing? And I just thought it must have been just really terrifying and quite an experience. Can you talk about that, what happened? And having been through it, is there anything that you kind of wish singers or instrumentalists knew or just were aware of, I don't know, in their day-to-day, injury can happen to anyone. So not, not in terms of prevention, but just in terms of, I guess, an outlook that it might have given you, now you're on the other side. Yeah, well, first of all, the, yeah, the first one is, is that vocalists are athletes and um, what we're asking of our bodies is very specific and it's elite behavior. So to expect the same way that when you're watching a basketball team and somebody 
does something happens and you know whatever it is athletes get injured all the time and nobody is saying like you abused your ankle or you did blah 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 but there's a stigmatism for vocalists when we injure ourselves and um and then there's shame and isolation so to get rid of that that would be the that would be the thing it's like if your voice doesn't feel like you know it's supposed to go get help reach out do not isolate do not be ashamed because it's not your fault or whatever it's you know you may have new skills or or tools that you need to be able to stay healthy so that's the first thing i would want to say to myself back then and to anybody who's listening and then the second thing is is that as the speaking voice goes so the singing voice goes so if you're having trouble with your speaking voice or you feel that it's not clear it's rough you keep getting hoarse you you're getting tired the singing voice is going to follow in that way eventually so pay attention to your speaking voice so what happened to me was that um there was a, it was a, a perfect storm of different things one was that i was taking outrageous amounts of um advil for a, a for a sports injury that i had and a doctor said prescribed like 16 advil a day or whatever for two weeks which i did um and the doctor knew that i was a, a professional singer what i had no idea at the time is that because it's a blood thinning thing it can uh, predispose you to vocal cord hemorrhage and it was absolutely not the right <laughs> course of action so but that was just one thing of a of a perfect storm but that was the i had a vocal cord hemorrhage and i didn't know it and when you sing on a vocal cord hemorrhage that's the only time when you you, you know you have to stop singing for at least a week until it resolves and I didn't know that. And so I was thinking on it, the poor thing, you know, it was just, the, they were getting worse and worse and I didn't know why. And I, and the perfect storm aspect of it was that I was too tired. I was running in too many directions. I was flying up to uh, Manhattan to, to teach at, at Manhattan School of Music. I was sleeping on people's couches, you know, doing a gig, doing this. My speaking voice was in, in shreds. It was kind of talking back like this, you know. And, and at the time, I used to kind of talk more like this back in my throat. And that feeling of sort of like everything's so relaxed, kind of. And it would get lower and lower. And the more tired you get, the more de-energized your voice gets. And it's, you know, it's just a vicious circle. So the speaking voice, which I was using way too much, was getting more and more like this. And so the vocal cords were just like, um, so it was this combination of, of, of that. And, um, and also of emotionally, I was at a, I had just gone through a lot of losses, a lot of deaths in my um, family and in our, in our, you know, there was just so much happening and having left New York and moved to a place where I didn't know anyone and had lost my community. And it was just, there was a deep, kind of grief and, and loneliness and, and a lot of just things. It was kind of a time where I had to grow. And sometimes those things are precipitated by a lot of pain and a lot of loss. And so it was no you know exception with this. I lost my voice and I had lost my voice you know in my life. And I didn't know, you know who, am, who am I? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What's most important to me in my life? And do I see that mirrored? No, what I saw was people pleasing, 
being outside of myself, you know, and the voice was just like in the body, they just like, that's it, we're shutting this down, <laughs> basically. And I, I kept having these vocal cord hemorrhages, I had a total of, of five or six in a year. And that is, you know, even and I had to have a, a surgery, I had a vocal cord surgery to uh, rectify that. And even after that, the, the recovery was very, very slow and it continued to you know to re-hemorrhage a few times and so there was at some point there was a feeling i don't know if this is going to be able to be my career anymore because you get start scar tissue you can have scar tissue and then paralysis or different things it's just the vocal cords don't work the same way however i had great 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 support i had so much uh, I mean, Keith was an amazing support at that time, and I found a place here, the Duke Voice Care Center, where I was getting therapy, and Jeannie Lavetri was really the one who pulled me through because she refuses to act from or teach from fear, you know, even though I was like, oh, I'm afraid to make that sound. She was like, make that sound, and she just pulled me through, and it was like, there was a lot of different things, and it took, you know, another six, eight months of uh, therapy, learning how to speak differently, you know, um, a lot of different things, but the voice came back and it came back stronger in a lot of ways and with new sounds to it and a kind of new clarity and forcefulness. And I don't know, there was just a new strength. And then I was able to kind of start helping other people who were having trouble. And, and so it's like, of course, the thing that's the worst, you know, also gives the biggest gifts if you if you see it through and that really is the message of this of this album it's like yeah darkness happens that's what life is about that's what our human journeys are about and how you deal with that how you live in a time of darkness when you cannot skip out of it and you can't there's no platitudes there's nothing that's going to save you from that navigating that finding ways to get support and to dig deeper into yourself and find out why am i here why am i here what do i have to offer this world and just following that day by day and firstly learning how to take care of yourself really learning how to take care of yourself and that journey of self-acceptance and self-love is the turned out to be <laughs> the thing, um, which hopefully, I mean, the, the last song on, on the record, you know, the Hafiz song brings that around and hopefully brings that, that lesson that, that helped really answer those questions.
folks who make the jazz session possible, namely the listeners, the members over at Patreon, and the Respect Sextet for the theme song. You can find out more about their music at respectsextet.com. Again, what a tongue twister. If you like this show, you can rate and review it. You are also welcome to subscribe. You can follow The Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh and on Facebook and Instagram at The Jazz Session. There is also a YouTube page that you can subscribe to to see video excerpts of interviews with this season's guests. It's really cool. I'm saying that unbiasedly. For more information about membership, you can go to thejazzsession.com slash join. Now, back to this week's episode. Well, I'm very glad that you have moved through it and are wiser for it, um, both of you. And I just hope you both know that you are both such loved figures in the jazz community. Really, you're musicians, musicians. Kate, I always refer to you as a singer, singer. All the vocalists just adore you and adore both of you in terms of what you bring to, I guess, the jazz community and, and to, to the music that's out there. And it was such a joy to see everybody online celebrating this new album. And it must have been just incredibly emotional for both of you. Really felt, I mean, it was just like person after person saying those things and sharing it and then saying, making little testimonies. Man, it was just... Yeah, it was exactly what you said. Just feels it's so fulfilling to feel like your community embraces you and lifts you up, and and it does feel like that's that is the kind of that just speaks to the quality of of the strength of community, really, that they show up in that way for people, you know. And I'm just happy that we're we get to be part of it, really. How does it feel now that the album's finally out? <sighs> Well, it came it came out on the third, and like two days later, I came down with shingles. Oh my- <laughs> um, which I don't know if you know, it's like the most painful goddamn Sorry. disease ever. It's just like it's a chickenpox virus that comes back out of the body during times of you know whatever. But I've never had had it before, and I hope never have it again. But it was just like it was sort of like felt like this big, you know, sort of release, like, okay, this is done. And everything, I don't know, sort of let go in a way. Well, it's not uncommon. In fact, I'll interject with an anecdote from Bobby McFerrin, who said that he would go on tour and then every time the tour would end and he'd come home to his wife, whom he hadn't seen for months, he would get sick. And eventually the wife said to him, when you end the tour, don't come home. I will come and meet you somewhere because if you come home, we won't have time together because you'll get sick and I'll have to nurse you. So I'll come and meet you. And so they always do, I think, or they try and do a stint just at the end of the tour before Bobby returns home. So 
Yeah, it's not uncommon that idea of after you've done something and your body goes, oh, now I can let down all my defenses. And that's when you... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what it kind of felt like. But now we're getting to have opportunities to talk about it and and it's going to start getting, you know, played and stuff. And, and Resilience Music Alliance is the label that's putting it out. And I just want to throw in that, I mean, God, we feel so lucky. They've They've just really come to bat for us and, and it's like your vision. We want your your vision and, and letting us, you know, do it how, how we wanted to do it and then really supporting it. And so um, that's that's a pretty rare situation. So we're just we feel really supported and um, and grateful for that. Dancing in the dark till the tune ends. We're dancing in the dark And it soon ends We're waltzing in the wonder Of why we're here Time hurries by We're here and gone Looking can't thank you enough for your time and for coming on here to talk about the album and congratulations again good thank you. thanks nikki appreciate you so much a big thank you to this week's guests kate mcgarry and keith gantz their beautiful new album what to wear in the dark is out on resilience music alliance now you can buy it online or wherever you get your music I want to thank you all for tuning in. Thank you in advance if you plan to share this episode with friends, tweet about it, Facebook about it. If you plan to subscribe so that you don't miss out on future episodes. If you plan to engage with me online, thank you for all of that in advance. Every bit counts and helps get the word out there for folks who may really enjoy these conversations, but who are not yet aware of the show. So thank you a million times over. I will see you next week for another conversation about jazz and life here on The Jazz Session. 